Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Good morning and welcome to Manna for Breakfast. It is the 27th of January. And we are in the book of Genesis 36 and Genesis 37, being Mark 2 as well today. Let's go ahead and pray. and We will get into Genesis 36. So, Father God, thank you for this morning. As usual, Father, we are blessed to be able to come into your presence as we read the word together. And may you just guide and direct and open up our hearts and help these words be able to help them stick, Father, and help us retain them so that we can apply them, the life lessons we can learn from them. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, chapter 36. Now these are the records of the generations of Esau, that is, Edom. Esau took his wives from the daughters of Canaan, Ada and the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and Olibama, the daughter of Anna, the granddaughter of Zebulon the Hivite. Also, Basemath, Israel's daughter and sister, Nebaioth. Ada bore Zilaphaz to Esau, and Basemath bore Rauel, and Olibama bore Jeush, and Jalam, and Korah. These are the sons of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan. Then Esau took his wives and his sons and daughters and all his household and all his livestock and all of his cattle and all of his goods which he had acquired in the land of Canaan and he went to another land away from his brother Jacob and their property for their property had become great for them to live together in the land where they sojourned could not sustain them because of their livestock. So Esau lived in the hill country of Seir Esau is Edom. Verse 9, These then are the records of the generations of Esau, father of the Edomites in the hill country of Seir. These are the names of Esau's sons, Eliphaz, the son of Esau's wife, Adar, Rauel, the son of Esau's wife, Basemath, the sons of Eliphaz, the Teman, Omar, Zepho, and Getam, and Kinnaz, Timnah, was a concubine of Esau's son, Eliphaz, and she bore Amalek and Eliphaz. These are the sons of Esau's wife, Ada. These are the sons of Reuel, Nehath and Zerah, and Shema and Mizah. These were the sons of Esau's wife, Basemath. These were the sons of Esau's wife, Olibama, the daughter of Anna, the granddaughter of Ziboin, she bore Esau, Jeshush, Jeush, and Jalam, and Korah. These are the chiefs of the sons of Esau, the sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn of Esau, the chief of Timan, chief Omar, chief Zepho, chief Kenaz, chief Korah, chief Gatam, chief Amalek. These are the chiefs descended from Eliphaz in the land of Edom. These are the sons of Ada. These are the sons of Reuel, Esau's son, chief Naath, chief Zerah, chief 
Shama, chief Mizra. These are the chiefs descended from Reuel. In the land of Edom, these are the sons of Esau's wife, Basemath. These are the sons of Esau's wife, Olibama, chief Jehush, chief Jalam, chief Korah. These are the chiefs descended from Esau's wife, Olibama, the daughter of Anna. These are the sons of Esau, that is Edom. These are their chiefs. These are the sons of Seir, the Horite, the inhabitants of the land, Lotan, Shobal, Zibolon, Anna, Dishon, Ezer, and Dishon. These are the chiefs descended from the Horites, the sons of Seir, in the land of Edom. The sons of Lothan were Hori and Hemam, and Lothan's sister was Timnah. These are the sons of Shobal, Alvan, Manath, Ibal, Shephu, Onam. These are the sons of Zibon. Ai, Anna, he is Anna who found the hot springs in the wilderness when he was pasturing the donkeys for his father Zibon. These are the children of Anna. Dishon and Olibama, the daughter of Anna. These are the sons of Dishon. Hemdan, Ishban, Ithran, and Cheran. These are the sons of Ezer. Bilan, Zaavan, Akan. These are the sons of Dishan, Uz, and Adan. These are the chiefs descended from the Horites. Chief Lothan, Chief Shobal, Chief Zibuan, Chief Anna, Chief Dishon, Chief Ezer, Chief Dishon. These are the chiefs descended from the Horites according to their various chiefs in the land of Seir. Now these are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the sons of Israel. Bela, the son of Beor, reigned in Edom, and the name of his city was Dinhaba. Then Bela died, and Jobab, the son of Zerah, and Zoras became king in his place. Then Jobab died, and Husham of the land of the Timonites became king in his place. Then Husham died, and Hadad, the son of Bedad, who defeated Midian in the land of Moab, became king in his place. And the name of his city was Avith. Then Hadad died, and Shamla, the Mareshka, became king in his place. Then Shamla died, and Shaul of Rehoboth on the Euphrates River became king in his place. Then Shaul died, and Baal Hanan, the son of Akbor, became king in his place. And Baal Hanan, the son of Akbor, died, and Hadar king and became king in his place, and the name of his city was Pau, and his wife's name was Mahadabel, the daughter of Matred, the daughter of Mizraab. These are the names of the chiefs descended from Esau, according to their families and their localities by their names. Chief Timnah, Chief Avla, Chief Jeeth, Chief Olibama, Chief Ella, Chief Pinon, Chief Kenaz, Chief Timnan, Chief Mitz, 
Mibzar, chief Magdiel, chief Iram. These are the chiefs of Edom, that is Esau, the father of the Edomites, according to their habitations in the land of their possessions. Chapter 37. Now Jacob lived in the land where the he had sojourned in the land of Canaan. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him very colored tunic, a very colored tunic. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, and so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, please listen to this dream which I have had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in a field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and also stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Then his brothers said to him, Are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now I had still another dream and related it to his brothers and said, Lo, I have, I have had still another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. He related it to his father and to his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come and bow ourselves down before you and to the ground? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Then his brothers went to pasture their father's flocks in Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, Are you, are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And he said to them, I will go. Then he said to him, Go. Go now and see about the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock, and bring word back to me. So he sent him to the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And he found a man, and behold, he was wandering in the field, and the man asked him, What are you looking for? And he said, I am looking for my brothers. Please tell me where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, They have moved from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Verse 18. When they saw him from a distance, and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Now then, come, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits, and we will say that a wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what would become of his dreams. But Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, Let us not take his life. Reuben further said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit that is in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hands and restore him to his father. 
So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very, the very colored tunic that was on him, and they took him and they threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. And when they sat down to eat, then they sat down to eat a meal. And as they raised their eyes and looked, behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead with their camels bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh on their way to bring them down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then some Midianite traders passed by, and so they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph to Egypt. Now Reuben returned to the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, so he tore his garments. He returned to his brothers and said, The boy is not there. As for me, where am I to go? So they took Joseph's tunic and slaughtered a male goat and dipped the tunic in the blood. And they sent the very colored tunic and brought it to their father and said, We found this. Please examine it to see whether it is your son's tunic or not. And when he examined it, he said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. So Jacob tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. Then all his sons and all of his daughters arose and to confront him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, surely I will go down to Sheol in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's captain or Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. And we'll stop there. The two chapters obviously are dealing a lot with the development of Israel as a nation. One, we have the 12, well, we we are developing the 12 tribes. We're seeing the 12 princes, the leaders coming out of Esau, and how they are going to go settle in Seir, which is actually out of Canaan. And it's interesting, the timeline, when they first met each other and they were supposed to go to together to Seir, Jacob didn't go. Some people think the um, they actually, he left, they met to later to bury their father, and then later um, Esau actually went to Seir, and he had not gone there initially. There's some timeline issues dealing with chapter 36 and chapter the chapters before dealing with when they met up together. But you get... Esau dealt with on this one side and God's promise that he would bless him but in order to bless him he really needed to move him out of Canaan he needed to move Jacob in to Canaan and there be established as Israel which is why the land of Canaan became known as Israel it was the land that was given to Jacob now while they are now settling, coming into the Transjordan area and into uh, Canaan itself, we see 
Joseph grow up. Now he is a young man. He's 17, and he's pastoring his father's flock, and he starts having dreams. This begins the whole life of Joseph, of which um, one quarter of Genesis is, is devoted to Joseph. There's going to be 12 chapters dealing with Joseph, basically from here on out. And it's incredible because there's nothing bad ever said about Joseph. He is a model for us of the coming Messiah, much the same way David is a model for us. So it is uh, astounding the things that we learn as we look into the life of Joseph. And he, right away at his young man, he has these dreams, and it causes this division and this hatred of his brothers. And it was God's providence that he knew the brothers would get jealous and it would uh, sell him to these slave traders and he would go down to Egypt and be raised up to do what? To save his people. The dream of the sheaves was all what about Joseph being the provider of the food that his family would need and so those sheaves would bow down to his sheaf. And uh, you have this, then of course the dream of the of the sun and the moon and the stars very reflective of what we see in in revelation um we understand that it's a symbolism of israel we understand that joseph is is there also given a symbol of authority there in all of this is pointing to joseph being raised up in a sense higher than jacob in the dream but not in a disrespectful sense, in a way that he could save his father. So we see how the whole story develops, that he becomes second to Pharaoh, and, and Jacob comes down there, and he honors his father in a way, but God raises him up positionally much higher in the, in the governmental sense of his father. And so he's able to, to save. And so God does all this for their benefit and all their good, but the brothers can't see that. Even Jacob can't see that. And, of course, this is why there's all this dissension. And jealousy is a terrible thing. Jealousy can blind you to some of the good things that God may be wanting to do through the other person that you're jealous of. There are times where God will want to bless you through a person that you're jealous of. And you can destroy a, a blessing coming your way when you hold on to bitterness, when you hold on to jealousy, it can often happen in your family, and often those people are unaware of it, or they're um, maybe they are a little arrogant. But God is working with them, and it's it is um, really our mandate that we walk according to God's standards, and be very careful about becoming jealous of people around you. It is a struggle, especially when it's in your family, especially when people are getting blessed. Can you imagine if the brothers actually knew what was going on with Joseph? Um, and instead of being surprised by it, if they knew that he went down there and became the, basically the richest man in the world and had everything at his disposal, and <laughs> he had all that power, they really would have hated him. But instead, they thought that he was a slave. You know, that they were, you know, hey, he's a slave, we're free. And then they come to find out who he really was. And Joseph is a guy that doesn't hold a grudge. And that's the other thing. It's amazing how we can learn that you can go through horrible circumstances 
And if you keep your eyes on the Lord, it can come out okay. I mean, you can be raised and ripped away from your family. You can have your family that hates you, you know, in this case, sold into slavery, unfairly treated for no reason, beat up, you know, pushed around, thrown in prison. You do everything right. You try and walk with God and, and not, not be immoral and live a godly life. And you get beat up and pushed around, thrown in prison for it and all these other things. And it would, many people would go, okay, that's it. I tried. And I, look how I get treated for it. I'm not going to deal with this anymore. But not Joseph. Joseph maintained his faith. He knew God was bigger. God had a plan. And God raised him up. So if you have a bad family life, bad beginning, you have some bad things happening to you because of, of, of your faith in Christ, keep at it. Stay faithful. God will bless in the end. Mark chapter 2. We did not come back from Capernaum several days afterwards. It was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And they, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let him down. They let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak this way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority even on the earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, pick up your pallet and go home. And he got up immediately, picked up his pallet, and went out in the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed and glorifying God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. And he went out again by the seashore, and all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them. Matthew, Levi, called (coughs) as he passed by and saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him. When the scribes and the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, They said to his disciples, why is he eating and drinking with tax tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and they came and said to him, why do John's disciples and disciples of the Pharisees feast for your disciples Oh, fast, (laughs) but your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, 
While the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast. Can they? So long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Then they will fast in that day. <coughs> Sorry. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the patch pulls away from it. The new from the old, and a worse tear results. No one puts new wineskin into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost in the skin as well. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. Verse 23, And it happened that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need, and he and his companions became hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Ab- Abiathar the high priest and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. I love that last part. I love the truth, how it comes out so plain and so strong. When Jesus is looking at them, it says, Man was... (laughs) Man was made for the Sabbath, not the Sabbath for the man. I get that right. <laughs> the Son of Man is Lord over the Sabbath. In other words, we are not to be slaves of the Sabbath. The <clears throat> David had a, had a need for he and his men. They were serving God. They were walking according to God's mandates. And therefore, God allowed them to eat the bread because the bread was not greater than the service that David was doing. David was in service and walking holy according to the Lord. So this is it's all getting down to relationship over religion. And if you are walking with the Lord, there is freedom in what a lot of what we can do. This is why he said while they're with the bridegroom, they don't fast. When I'm gone, they will because they are rejoicing. They don't have to follow under a ritualistic system. When you're with Christ, you don't have to follow the ritualistic or the law. When Christ came, he set us free from the law. And so he's starting to try and explain that. Now, in this calling in Matthew 2, you see the various encounters that he has. And there's really too many to to go to each one of them. But uh, it was interesting with Levi and the Pharisees, again, how they judged Jesus and said, you know, um, you're a sinful man because you're hanging out with sinful people. And this was, again, getting back to the religion of the day. The Jews, because they held the law, began to think of themselves as higher and, and better than other people because they held to this system. And therefore, they had 
been given the law. They were of Abraham, and therefore they had a purity. Now, there was Levi was Jewish, but he was a tax collector, which made him uh, unclean and made him um, undesirable. He was considered a sinner, along with the other tax collectors, because they were kind of shady, and they were focused on the money. But Jesus goes to them, and we see that Jesus has a heart. That's hard for the sinners. Pretty cool. Um, it's just, you know, Son of Man didn't come for those that are righteous, but those who are sick, the phys- physician. I've come for those who are in need of healing. And, of course, it's kind of a... Um, <coughs> he is making an interesting statement. I didn't know how to phrase that, but when he says he didn't come um, for those that are righteous or those that are well but for those that are sick and those that need a physician there is no one righteous and of course there was no one that could stand up and say i am fine with god i've made it on my own everyone's sick and but he, but the pharisees couldn't see that of course they thought that they were okay with god but the point was he's come he's the son of man he's come for the purpose of healing and bringing man back into wholeness back into wellness with god and it would be through his own presence his relationship his power who has authority but god alone no one to heal no one it was a true statement and yet jesus healed what's the lesson he is god he is deity he did that so that they could get the picture healing the paralytic which is easier to say (laughs) take up your pal and walk your sins are forgiven that's kind of a also a little jab at the Pharisees, a little play on words, because obviously it's a little tiny bit easier to say your sins are forgiven, a word less or two, than the other. But his his point was to get them focused on this idea that he wasn't just a healer. He was God incarnate coming to heal. And that's a whole different thing. He had the power to forgive sins. And it really took these Pharisees by shock, by surprise. They had no idea uh, who they were standing before. And, of course, it just made them reject them all the more because they refused to believe it. Well, let's move on to Spurgeon. January 27th, Precious Repentance. And there shall ye remember your ways and all your doings wherein ye have been defiled. And ye shall loathe yourself in your own sight for all your evils that ye hath committed. Ezekiel twenty forty three. When we are accepted of the Lord and are standing in the place of favor and peace and safety, then we are led to repent of all our failures and miscarriages toward our gracious God. So precious is repentance that we may call it a diamond of the first water. And this is sweetly promised to the people of God as the most sanctifying result of salvation. He who accepts repentance also gives repentance, and he who gives it not out of the bitter box, but from among those waters made with honey on which he feeds his people, a sense of blood-bought pardon and of the undeserved mercy is the best means of dissolving a heart of stone. Are we feeling hard? Let us think of covenant love, and then we shall leave sin. 
lament sin, and loathe sin. Yea, we shall loathe ourselves for sinning against such infinite love. Let us come to God with this promise of patience and ask him to help us to remember and repent and regret and return. Oh, that we could enjoy the melting of holy sorrow. What a relief would a flood of tears be. Lord, smite the rock or speak to the rock and cause the waters to flow. Well, Father, we thank you for that word and we thank you that you do 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 those amazing um, things in our life to bring us to the point of recognizing your un, unbelievable, your glorious pardon, the forgiveness that you offer to us, God. And we thank you for it. We thank you that you have touched our lives and transformed us and brought us into this deep understanding of who you are by your grace and by your love. And what a glorious thing it is when we can simply surrender to that and yield up to sin and let the tears flow of joy and thanksgiving because the reality of the work that you're doing. Father, it's sad when there's so many people today that want to twist the words of the Bible and and try and turn everything that you've said around to make it sound like you're unloving and you're uncaring and that uh, sin doesn't exist or people don't need forgiveness. They're always trying to justify their sins. They're trying to find their own way to you. Father, we thank you that you've made it simple. You made it direct. Jesus came. He went and spoke to the people. He healed the people. He showed the people he had the power to forgive sins. He used the crippled outwardly to show them their condition inwardly. And he brought people into wholeness. And he stood against the religious hypocrisy of the day. So, Father, help us get back to that, that simplicity, the joy of our salvation. And we do pray, God, the healing of our spirits within, a strengthening of confidence, but also outwardly, healing of our bodies. Thank you, God, for the healing that is available in Jesus. And we do want to thank you for the healing work you are doing in a number of people already. We've had some reports of things going on um, with babies that have had uh, sicknesses and have been healed that uh, are still, there's still um, a few very young, that one we prayed about yesterday, 14 months old father that is dealing with a pretty serious medical situation. God, um, having convulsions, um, and we just pray for that little grandbaby, Annas, Matilde, that, that you would take away those seizures and completely bless her. Help her to be right, God, in her body. So we thank you for that. And we thank you for those you're continuing to heal of the COVID. We thank you that you're going to heal them and bring them back into wholeness. Pray for our pastor friends, God, that are, that are also struggling themselves and they have large congregations many of them getting over that we thank you that you are have healed many and uh, and are going to continue
Pray for Robert Hall, father with his diagnosis of a brain tumor that could be either shrunken uh, miraculously or by medicine or whatever treatment, God, so it would not have to have surgery. But if it does, God, just cut it out of there quickly. Use the doctors to, to be your hands to heal that man. And we thank you for the work that you're doing um, in Celeste, for her healing in her body, even and um, Nabil and Susie, for Nabil and her body, God, continue to keep her strong and and keep take the pain away. And, and Nabil dealing with his various uh, ailments, God, different things in his body, please heal him. Anna and her lungs, Maria and Elena, Father, for her sickness that she's had, and some of these um, people that have come into church just as visitors told us that they're dealing with some issues. They're having to have surgery or just having to try and get over something chronic. So we pray for them as well, God, for the visitors that have come in, that you bless them and really draw close to them. Help, to see, help them to see you in a new way. Thank you for the people you bring in from churches that have very traditional backgrounds, not exposed to the teaching of the word, uh, expositionally and get excited. Thank you for the testimonies of people that come in and they said they've, that the Bible's just opened up to them and you have opened up to them, God, in a new way, a relationship and deeper than they've ever had. May you just continue to water that, God, with your spirit. Just rain down your love upon them and help them establish themselves in you. God, we need workers. We need people strong in these latter days. So we pray for your strengthening of the church, strengthening of the brethren. And God, we will give all these things to you and praise you and wait upon you for the things that you will do in these next days. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we will see you guys tomorrow at the same time. God bless you richly, and uh, keep looking up. Bye-bye. Thank mm-hmm. you.